Chief Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss an article from the November issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Investigating the Cause of Cattle Abortions, When to Involve Your Veterinarian, and What Happens Next. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Matt Hilly, who's a veterinarian and pathologist with Nebraska Extension. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, great to be here, Aaron. Appreciate it. Well, Dr. Hilly, this is an article that I think is really timely. And for some folks, they might say, well, why would you write this now? We're a ways from calving. But the hope is that in thinking about some of these things right now, in my mind, also many folks have just been pregnancy testing cows. And so they kind of know which cows should be pregnant as they go into the rest of the fall here and winter, get ready for spring. Just talk through with us some things to think about as we think about when pregnancy loss occurs And then how do we think about that, especially between now and through calving, when we might start to be concerned about extra losses that are occurring, whether those be abortions or things like that? What are some things we need to be paying attention to? Yeah. So regarding the timing, I thought this was appropriate. Most people are going to be coming up with preg check data. uh, And then we have this period between that and calving that a lot of times I think is missed as far as its potential for calf loss. The truth is, and unfortunate reality is we, we can have fetal death loss from any time we either confirm pregnancy or they're bred all the way till calving. And so what I highlight in here is there really are several different stages that we can break this down uh, and in terms of death loss technically. A lot of times people use the term abortion rather loosely. In reality, in early stages, we can have embryonic death loss at different time frames. And so what I tried to do to start was kind of define what I'm talking about when I say the word abortion in the title of the article, as well as just in in discussions. And usually that's from about six weeks on, from six weeks of gestation to calving. So there's a lot of things that we want to factor in uh, that may not be obvious, I think, uh, to start. And one of the biggest things is, is collection of this sort of pregnancy data in the future can help us determine what sort of losses we're seeing at these different stages. Um, This is a prime example of why I'm a big fan of early ultrasonography for pregnancy detection, because the earlier we do things, the more accurate we're going to get, even if we're just palpating. The earlier we palpate with where a a particular veterinarian is comfortable doing, the more accurate they're going to be on that stage of gestation. So if we start with collecting that sort of data and we know you know, a specific cow, for example, was bred at this stage, and we start to see patterns of those cows not calving and not seeing any sort of death loss, then we could pinpoint it to that early embryonic period. Whereas later on, of course, where we see expulsion of of dead fetuses, that would be more of the true abortions. So let's just talk about that a little more, thinking about folks that are getting cows pregnancy tested right now, whether that be through ultrasonography or through palpation. Some folks might be using a blood test. You know, once a cow is identified as pregnant, uh, what's a typical or I guess acceptable level of loss between pregnancy diagnosis and calving? You know, what's a normal rate that you would say, hey, this is just kind of typical? And then when does that reach a threshold when it's like, you know, we've we've got an issue here we need to investigate further? Yeah. Well, the short answer is it depends. But for your average herd, uh, say in Nebraska uh, or or traditional cow-calf country, anywhere in that 2 to 3% range should be considered relatively normal for the average herd. In reality, 
your historical experience or data, ideally, that you would have had in the past is going to be your your most accurate guidance moving forward on kind of when this threshold is where you'd want to be a little bit more concerned. But that would be a rough number to as kind of walking around knowledge about two to three percent. So when we start to think about that and, you know, maybe you have one or two or three and then all of a sudden you go out and you find more. When do you start to get your veterinarian involved and then also get your lab involved and say, hey, we need to investigate this further? Yeah, well, the most efficient investigations like this that I see, frankly, are people that already have a good relationship with their veterinarian. And as I used to be a practitioner before I I came to uh, university to be a diagnostician and pathologist here. And the, the same would happen in my own experience. People that I would work with much more closely would be more apt to reach out, discuss things early on. We can have even informal discussions about whether or not we're potentially reaching reaching that particular person's threshold when we may or may not need to be concerned. Um, I think that's extremely important to relay to people. And, you know, a lot of times in extension, we make recommendations like, you know, work with your local veterinarian. And what I've really tried to do with this article was kind of explain in this particular situation why that would be. Um, and that's a prime example of when in your particular herd should you be uh, concerned. Say you you reach that threshold, then the next step would be if your veterinarian were to uh, you know deem it appropriate, the next step would be to submit diagnostic samples to a diagnostic lab like what, where I work here in Lincoln on East Campus. And that, that's a little more detailed uh, as far as kind of trying to come up with an etiology, an actual cause of the abortions. Uh, but the take home is we we can't make a diagnosis without samples and your veterinarian can't get samples unless they know something's going on. So the earlier, the better, I guess, would be the short answer as far as reaching out to to your local veterinarian on on when to be concerned. So for the producer that is working with their veterinarian in terms of getting you quality samples that you can use to hopefully find a cause. If I go out and find an abortion, what's a practice? What are good things that should be in place to ensure my local veterinarian that I'm working with can get what they need and then also make sure those samplers are in good shape when they get to your lab. Yeah, sure. So the first thing you'd want to do when you see one is get it as soon as you can to prevent any sort of predation. Um, something that I think is overlooked by a lot of producers is if if there is a placenta still around uh, to grab the placenta. That's oftentimes a very valuable diagnostic tool for us in the lab. If you grab it and, and you decide not to pursue additional testing, you can always toss it later. Uh, but we can't, of course, go back and get it, you know, if we don't grab it up front. As far as preservation, the ideal thing would be to get a postmortem exam done as soon as realistically possible. And the reason we worry about that a lot of times is for postmortem autolysis. So uh, that's a kind of a fancy way of just saying tissues rotting. So the second that tissue or that fetal tissue is expelled, uh, in the case of a real abortion, it's going to begin rotting immediately. And the sooner we get those specimens cooled down uh, and to the laboratory, the better our diagnostic process uh, is going to be, or the higher likelihood of success we'd have to come up with an actual cause. So for folks who are thinking about calving and you come out up in a situation, you're checking cows, you come up on a dead calf, obviously just been born. How do you determine, is this a calving dystocia or was this calf born dead? When do you start to think about, hey, I need to get a sample here? Yeah. So when you're seeing it yourself for the first time, an intact carcass is is sometimes difficult to see. Sometimes we'll see uh, meconium staining, which is um, the f- fetal feces, essentially. So a stressed 
calf, for example, in a dystocia, will defecate in utero, and then they'll have the, the staining uh, of their skin, kind of a brown-yellow staining of the of the uh, in utero fecal material. That would be a strong indication that that calf was probably, or at least strongly suggestive, I should say, that the calf may be um, more of a dystocia and died dirt because of the dystocia rather than a, an abortion, uh, a true abortion. I guess there are other things, I guess, that folks might use in the field to just say, hey, was this calf born alive? Was it born dead? Uh, I mean, sometimes something like, you know, a sack over a nose or something like that. Sometimes those are visually obvious, but is there other things that uh, might be some early things a producer could use as they begin to determine whether or not to go further with taking a, a calf in to get it posted? Well, a lot of times you can, um, if you're comfortable doing it yourself, one of the first things we'd look at to determine is this, was this calf born dead or alive? What we'd essentially ask is, has this calf taken a breath? Um, if someone's comfortable doing it themselves, you can open up the carcass and look and see if the lungs are inflated or not. And that's one of the first things that your veterinarian is going to do uh, in any sort of postmortem. So I guess if in doubt, it sure wouldn't hurt to have that opened up. These can be things that when I say as soon as possible, I know life gets in the way. Like in practice myself, during the spring, we'd have a lot of people show up at the back door, drop a calf off. When I'd get back, I'd get to it, or I've done countless necropsies on the back of a tailgate, uh, kind of just in case a quick look to see things like that. If I open it up and I see the lungs are inflated, I know that calf at least took a breath, and that would dramatically decrease my concern as far as an abortion, an infectious abortion storm uh, going through. So I think between what you're seeing grossly yourself when you walk up to that calf and anything that your vet might see on a postmortem, those are the sorts of things that we would look at as far as determining whether or not it's a true abortion. Dr. Hilly, in the article, you also talk about that this is not an exact science in that uh, just because you submit some tissues, the tissues may be good and all of that, but it may be hard to actually determine what's happened. Uh, that's being said, not to discourage folks, but I think just to give an understanding of, you know, what should folks expect if they submit samples? Yeah, I, I will admit as a as a former practitioner and a diagnostician now, I would say bovine abortion workups um, or abortion workups in general are one of the more frustrating cases, to be quite honest. Our, our likelihood of success in coming up with a as close to a definitive answer as we can for you is roughly about 40%. Uh, like I said, if we have the placenta, that automatically increases our chances, although not that much. Uh, it's not uncommon for us to have what we call idiopathic abortions, meaning we run appropriate testing and we're not finding answers there. So at the end of the day, we don't really know what caused it. Uh, but what I try to highlight in the article is that is still valuable information. Our goal mainly when we're doing these workups is to determine, A, is this something that could be potentially very bad for our herd? And B, if, if it is, what sort of treatment options would we have? So just answering that question up front that this isn't something that is commonly, a, you know, can lead to an abortion storm would be very valuable information. You know, when we see negative tests, that's not necessarily money wasted on that test. You know, that's, that's good information to know um, in terms of management of what we're going through now and as well as in the future as well. What other things would you recommend to both veterinarians who are working with clients and then producers themselves around this topic that you think would be helpful, especially as we move through the rest of this winter, get ready for the calving season? Well, I don't think I can overstate the importance of of having a, a consistent relationship with a veterinarian. I think 
uh, we, the collective we as veterinarians, beef cattle veterinarians in particular, we do a poor job of marketing, I think, our value for things that aren't just a, you know, a technical medical skill. And the only way for people to, to, you know, learn that value a lot of times is if somebody like me says it or they're doing it themselves and they start to see that value. So knowing when to, you know, when to, when to pull the trigger on investigating further and more importantly, probably preventative measures management wise. So we don't get into these sorts of situations with uh, larger than expected abortions by working closely with your veterinarian is extremely important. I don't think I can overstate that. Dr. Hilly, thanks again for joining me today. Thanks for the article. I think timely and I think helpful to both veterinarians and producers as we finish out the fall, get ready for the winter and, and move to next year's calving. All right. Yeah, great. Thank you. Well, for more information on the article that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Again, the title of the article we discussed today, Investigating the Cause of Cattle Abortions, When to Involve Your Veterinarian, and What Happens Next.